This is the Work and With series, presented by your host, Haley Sudbury. Listen in each month to find out who we're working with. Haley sits down with some of the world's most exciting leaders and entrepreneurs to chat about the companies they love, their definition of success, and the real secret behind it all, their superpower. Today I'm with Rory Sterling, who is a partner at BGF Ventures, and uh, he's very kindly visited us in our offices. So welcome. It's a pleasure. Thank you for having me. So Rory, why don't you tell us a bit about BGF Ventures? Uh, So we're an early stage investor in high growth technology companies in the UK. Um, We call it Series A investing, so we invest between kind of one and six million pounds in those companies and then we've we've got a 200 million pound fund so we can invest over several rounds of funding to support them as they grow. It's all about the journey. It's all about the journey for sure. As entrepreneurs, (laughs) we love the journey because you've got to love the journey. You have to love the journey because the journey is incredibly difficult so if you didn't love it you would give up at many hurdles yeah life is too short lots of people have great ideas but only a handful turn those ideas into great entrepreneurship how do you identify that in founders and startups i think that's probably the question i ask myself most often because it's it basically describes what we do for a job so my fundamental belief is um that it is uh Execution is everything in the in the companies that we back, and for sure, ideas are important. But if you come up with a great idea, you've got to assume that ten other people, a hundred other people, are executing that idea at the same time. So you'll di- differentiate through execution, uh, and that execution is comes from the founding team. So our ability to assess those founders and their resilience and their commitment and their uh, ability to execute. Um, is everything. I wish I could give you an easy answer of, of our you know, assessment tools for how we do that, but it, it's not quite as easy as that. Um, but we certainly uh, spend a lot of time with the founders that we're uh, backing before investment and obviously a lot of time with them as they're scaling the companies too. And have you founded companies in the past as well? Yeah, I, I have. And actually, um, I founded one that was really unsuccessful. So it was. I, can, I come at this from the point of view that I have not... Um, scaled a big company before, but I do know how lonely it is to start a company, raise money and start building a product. Um, but actually, I feel uh, it's a really good question because I feel the, the most successful venture uh, teams are actually those that comprise investors, founders and operators. And so it, at BJF Ventures, my two co-founding partners, um, one of them has been a business builder all his life. He's best known for uh, being Love Film CEO, um, but he's been CEO of Mothercare and a number of other businesses. Uh, and my other partner, Harry, actually founded a, a drinks business called Firefly, uh, which they eventually sold to private equity, and uh, he's also been an investor. Um, so we're a real combination of experiences. So what didn't you know when you started out, and how would you do things differently now? Started out in VC. I think started out in VC, but also as a, as a founder, if you want to share a little bit more about that journey, we're very open to that. Yeah, my number one uh, advice for founders is to get a co-founder. I did it on my own, and uh, the f- this is not what founders want to hear, but we have to acknowledge that the, the, just the numbers in our industry. Founders are 
Um, founders of high-growth startups are doing the impossible. They're building something from nothing, um, and a lot of people around them won't necessarily buy into their vision from the beginning. And if you're going to do that, you really want to do it with someone that you trust, have a great relationship with. Um, and uh, even if that journey doesn't go very well, at least you're sharing it with someone and you can enjoy the journey, as we as we said. I didn't do that, so that's my number one piece of advice. Um, as a VC, there are so many things that I wish I knew at the beginning. Um, I mean, the important thing for me is I found something I love doing, and I get up every day really... Uh, motivated about working with the entrepreneurs that we do. Um, but really, I've gone through a huge mental learning uh, journey uh, in the kind of nearly 10 years that I've been uh, a VC, and um, I wish I could recount all the learnings. But um, I guess the number, the, the kind of aha moment for me early on was that I actually thought the job was going to be easy or was quite easy for kind of the first. 12 months it's actually embarrassing to think back to it now you know you get all these talented people knocking on your door and coming and pitching great ideas to you and you think your job is to choose the you know the few that you think are the best um, and actually then you realize that that's part of the job but really we're selling to founders as well like the very best founders have a choice of who they work with to see out their companies and who they let on the cap table of their companies and who they want to partner with on the boards um, and it's really our job to Make sure um, we're putting ourselves in the best position for those for the, the very best founders. Um, and so, I, I, yeah, there was a there was definitely a light bulb moment for me when you kind of like, ah, okay, this is what this is what it's about. Who was it that championed you along the way? I mean, how did you get into this position at you know partner at BGF Ventures? So I was a partner in a firm called MMC Ventures before, um, and so I've, I've been doing this you know a, a little while now. In fact, I've been doing it more than I've done anything else. And uh, I guess you could call me a career VC at this point. Um, so uh, I had a, a managing partner at MMC called Bruce who gave me my first kind of shot. He hired me and then gave me a huge amount of autonomy uh, to make mistakes, um, make my own mistakes. Um, and that was just awesome. Um, and then I had a partner there called John Coker, um, who we kind of co-led the investment team. And I learned a huge amount from him. And, you know, you just in, in venture generally in any industry, you surround yourself with, you know, great, smart people and you, um, you know, you learn from mistakes and continue to iterate. Um, but they, they were both highly influential in my in my career and now my, my two new partners, you know, I've learned more from them in, in two years, you know, you continue to go on that learning journey, which is really cool. So tell us about a pivotal moment that got BGF Ventures to where it is today. The, the backstory to BGF is, is Ventures is actually quite unusual. So we're part of a larger investment firm called BGF. Um, they've got a two and a half billion pounds on their balance sheet and they invest in profitable growth companies. Um, they've been around for nearly six years now um, and they've been highly successful in my view. But what they didn't do was early stage high growth technology investing. And so they approached Simon, Harry and I uh, two and a half years ago now to say, you know, we, we commit a significant amount of money, 200 million pounds in this case, um, you know, to, to, to build a, a, ven a new venture business based here in London. And, um, and the difficult thing about venture capital is raising a lot of money. Um, so that was, you know, a really, uh, you know, attractive thing for us to do. Um, and we were highly ambitious to build a kind of a new tier one leading venture fund here in London. Um, so Stephen Welton is the CEO of BGF. He was, um, that was, uh, you know, the boldness of his uh, ambition and vision for BGF to do that was clearly a huge part of founding founding the, the business. And then really pulling together Simon, Harry and I, um, 
you know, I, I was very clear from the, the beginning, none of us had worked together before. And therefore, our number one challenge was how do we build an effective partnership from day one? How do you accelerate that trust and the relationship to make sure you're making good decisions? And I, and I know, Hayley, you've had the same with your co-founders. It's, it, it's a journey. The journey continues. Yep. So, Rory, if I decided, you know, the entrepreneurship, I'm going to give it up for a bit and I'm going to come and work for you tomorrow, what would be the first thing I noticed about how you do things at BGF Ventures? That's a great question. I suspect um, uh, I suspect there's actually a lot of things that founders would find quite surprising about working in a venture firm. Um, and uh, I'm, I've never don't think I've ever been asked that question before. Um, the, the the thing that always strikes me time and time again as a VC investor is, uh, and I'm sure you find this too as, as a founder, is just how we manage our time. So, um, you know, I think venture is actually. Uh, to be a successful VC over a long period of time is exceptionally difficult, i.e. you've got to be associated with some of the very best businesses and therefore re- repeatedly make high-quality investment decisions. But if you break that down into your objectives, actually it's repeatable behaviours that you have to do on a daily, weekly, monthly, you know, quarterly basis in the same way as any um, you know, exec. Uh, and so, But there is always way more calls in our time than we can actually... Um, allocate to. So if I told you that we get somewhere, you know, a couple of thousand business plans a year and we invest in 10 of them. So how do you, well, roughly 10. So how do you manage your time so that you're actually focusing on, uh, you know, how many of those companies do you actually meet? Um, how many, how do you manage the interaction with all of them to make sure you're meeting the right ones? Um, and so I, the way I think about my week is that I spend Mondays, you know, uh, in the office with my team focusing on internal our inter, our own internal business because at the end of the day we don't have a business unless we focus on that and then Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday I back to back my diary with um, board meetings and meetings with other founders and then Friday is my kind of uh, my work day where I focus back on making sure I've gone back to everyone I promised to go back to and, and you know doing all the important work So quite a quite a structured week I think about it in quite a structured way but that's just the way I get my head around it I mean literally every year that I've been in venture capital I've reached new uh, kind of a new ceiling and I've had to kind of think how am I going to do more with the same amount of time and so you know you go go from being someone relatively junior in, in venture capital where you're helping out on a, on a few deals to actually then leading deals building your own business which a, a VC fund is um, you know being probably on somewhere close to 10, 10 boards that um, and all the other calls in your time you know so yeah that's the way I cope I guess so if I asked your team and the companies you've invested in what you're like to work with, what would they honestly say to me? <laughs> I, uh, I would like to think, um, and, I think, and I think I have an insight on this because I do actually ask them regularly um, you know, for, fee- for feedback because I think feedback's obviously important for anyone. Um, but I really care about the partnership with founders. So if you strip away everything in our industry, I really believe that 99.9% of the value created in startups is from the founding team. And everyone else around them is just hopefully nudging them in the right direction at the right time. And so I think I, uh, people probably shoot me for saying this, but I, I, I think that the venture industry as a whole oversells the amount of value that they can add to a startup. And of, of course, if you can be, if you can build a venture firm, which is hugely value add to, to founders, then that's great. But everyone forgets that that value is a spectrum. So you get, you've got positive value add on the really good side. And you know when founders are choosing their VCs, they should definitely be optimizing for that. But you've also got negative value destruction if you don't find the right 
VC investor. So if you're not aligned on the amount of risk that you want to take along that journey, if you're not aligned on the vision um, for the industry and for the business, if you're not aligned on the eventual outcome that you would all be happy with, then you're going to fall out along the way. So I think really first and foremost is being aligned around uh, values between the, the founders and the, and, and the VC um, and, and the risk and the journey that you want to go on. And if you get that right, then you absolutely optimize for, for avoiding that value destruction piece. Um, and that's why I come back to the, the partnership piece, because I would like to think that the fa- if the founders that I've invested in, if you talk to them, they would say that I've got their back. I, I guess that's the best way of summarizing it. So when things get really tough, you know that I'm thinking about you and your business and what's best for you rather than trying to protect me and me and our position. So once we've made an investment in your company, um, we're a board member, we're a partner of you as a founder, and we want to do everything possible to help you um, succeed. And normally that is just getting out of the way of great founders and um, supporting them to make the decisions that they want to make. So you sit on a number of boards. I imagine that gets pretty heated from time to time. How do you approach difficult conversations? I actually don't think any board discussion, if you're having a heated board discussion, you've probably done something wrong. In fact, I'm convinced you've done something wrong. And so I can't recall any time in my 10 years in the industry and multiple boards that I've been on where we've actually had a board, we've had to vote on something as a board to get a decision through. If you're doing that, you know that something's gone Something's gone wrong in the process. So. I guess in terms of advice, the thing for any founder or any VC is to make sure that you're in contact before the board meeting. You know what's going to be discussed. You know what's on the founder's mind. You know the decision that they want to make in that board meeting or decisions. Um, And you've had that discussion. And and that doesn't mean having a full pre-board before the board because then it's just a fake conversation. But you, you know what's on the founder's mind and you know what the discussion is that they want to have in that room and the decision they want to come to. And then, as as I said, you know, I think if you respect the fact that everyone in that room has a has a an, an equal but different role as a, a director of that company, then you can have really mature conversations um, around the things that the company is going through. And I've just I fully appreciate that no one knows what's going on in that business more than the executive team that's sitting around that, that, that table. So for me there's nothing better than just wanting to to back the instincts and the judgment and the decision that that founding team want to make. So you've met I think a lot of CEOs, founders and CEOs what are the attributes that you think are really outstanding in a great CEO? Um, I'll take notes now. <laughs> yeah, I love this topic um, because the, the the best bit about my job is that I meet hundreds of people a year and every now and again, and hopefully fairly frequently, I meet somebody who just totally blows me away and they change my perspective literally on the world around me. So they'll, talk, they'll tell me about a new industry or a new market within an industry that I didn't know about or a new technology that's changing the way that our business lives or our personal lives, you know, uh, operate. Um, so, uh, you know, and, and I get super excited about that and if you if you try to define it i think i really think resilience or it's often i call it grit is um is a a key attribute that you need in a founder because as we said at the beginning of this discussion you know there can be so many moments along the way where this does not look obvious and this gets really difficult and if you're not if if you're not passionate about the idea or the business that you're building and if you don't have the resilience to actually go on that journey then i think you're going, to, you're going to make the wrong decisions along the way and it's going to be very difficult. So we, we certainly look for resilience. Um, I think the ability to sell vision, and I use that the, the term sell quite loosely. I don't mean 
you've got to be the best salesperson. I mean, you've got to be able to take people on the journey with you. So if you think about the the, the, um, the journey of a founder, right from before they found the business, they're selling the vision for that company. You're probably persuading your partner, then you're f- persuading your co-founder, then your first employees, your first investors, your first suppliers, your first customers. At every single point, you've got stakeholders around you that, and you, you're telling them that it's going to be okay. And you're persuading them that this vision of yours is, you're, you know... Is because gonna, it is. Yeah, is, is the future. <laughs> so I think... Um, and that comes back to resilience. You know, oftentimes many of those stake, you, you, many times you won't actually believe or have as much confidence in that vision as you, and that will change intraday, right? Or intra-week. Um, so the ability to kind of man- maintain that uh, with all those stakeholders is really important. But the ability to take people on that journey and, and, and sell that vision is, is probably the most important thing that I can see. What's your superpower? I think it takes all sorts to be uh, a successful investor and ultimately I'm ambitious and I want to be I want to prove that I'm good at being a venture investor over you know a prolonged period of time um, and I think different people come out that in different ways and they're successful in different ways but ultimately the thing that I would like to bring to the table is the fact that I can be that venture investor um, who is who is a true partner to a founder and has their back as opposed to being someone who is the smartest person in the room and who knows the, the answer to every question I don't think that I know the answer to the questions that founders need to answer, but I absolutely do see my role as putting them in touch with people who can help help them through those challenges. So for sure, we see a number of the same challenges across companies as they scale from that kind of seed and series A round through to growth rounds, and we like to think that we can help with that. But I see myself as a dating agent. You know, I come out of board meetings and I've got three or four introductions that I want to make to that founding team to help them with that specific challenge. So I, 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 I would like to think my superpower is is removing my own ego from the discussion and and parking that and acknowledging that I don't know the right answer and and to really kind of nail that point home every time i come up with a rule of thumb in our industry for how you do something successfully another founder will come along and do it completely differently and 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 build their business really successfully that way and and that's the the, the amazing thing about our industry is you're working with innovators and people who think out of the box so i try not to be too Uh, too fixed in my thinking around that who do you pick up the phone to when things get tough my mum your mum my mum and my wife they're they're the two uh, amazing women in my life that are real uh, supports for me what difference do you think it makes to have more diverse talent leading companies it makes all the difference in the world so um, actually if we start with our own uh, business if you think about what we do, we make our whole careers and our whole success around very few decisions that we make in a year. So of course, every day as a business, we're making tons of decisions. But as a venture investor, we're basically making relatively few investment decisions a year. And for me, the diversity of thought that we have in that process is how we get to better decision making. So you can do all you like around um, diligencing a business and, and getting the right information to you to help you make that decision. But ultimately, after all of that process, we sit down as a team and we make that decision. And you need, you need diversity of thought to help ask the right questions as part of that decision-making process. So I think diversity of all kinds is really important to that. Um, but ultimately, it's diversity of thought that, 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 I, that, I, that I value. 
um, and, and challenging the way that I think and overcoming my own biases, etc. And I see the same in the in the founding teams that we back. I just I think we have better conversations as boards and better conversations that I see in executive teams when they are a mixed group of individuals. So you've spoken about acknowledging your own biases and yeah. mentioned it again now. How has this affected the way you do business and what were some of those biases you've had to face? I think, um, as, I mean, I feel like I've been on my own personal development journey over the past 10 years as, a, as an investor, which makes you aware of um, your, your conscious biases. But really, the, you know, some of the most powerful ones we need to focus on are, the, are those subconscious ones. Um, so if you if I come back to my role as an investor or our role as, as investors and those relatively few decisions, we've certainly actually sought professional advice on how we make those decisions and how we can counter some of the bias in that process. Um, so uh, the, the, the kind of meeting, we call it an investment committee when we actually sit down to make an investment decision. And we've certainly been very structured in our thinking around how we operate that investment committee to make sure we're overcoming you know, some bias in that process. And we are far from perfect. And the trouble is the more work you do in this area, the more you realize it is absolutely impossible impossible to overcome all those biases. And actually some of those biases are quite powerful in, in helping us to navigate to, you know, to the right answers. Um, but we, we, for example, when someone is proposing an investment, we, we, we call it a, a red team, blue team. So the person proposing is the blue team and we then have someone who actually writes a, a, a sort of, a red team paper, so they actually write the counter argument to why we shouldn't do that deal, and that really helps frame the conversation. Um, and then we also have something called a pre mortem rather than a post mortem, which is basically to say if you know if we're sitting here in a few years' time and this hasn't worked out the way we expected, why isn't that? And that really helps us as a group rather than talking about every single thing that could go wrong. It's kind of about the one or two things that actually we think is the most likely things to go wrong, and it helps bring the conversation back to that. Any thoughts to share? I mean, I'm, I'm delighted to hear that, you know, you're really challenging biases internally. And I think it's been pretty topical at the moment, both in the US and the UK, around the different ways that investors look, particularly at female mm-hmm. founders, and just even the research that has proven, actually, when they hear a pitch from a male, they focus on gains. Mm-hmm. When they hear it from a female, they focus on losses. And that's, you know, research that's happened this year. Any thoughts to share on that or or other things you're doing differently or maybe challenges you have for peers in the industry? So I read the same same research that you did or the same, uh, you know, paper, and I thought it was uh, fascinating. So firstly, say, I think data... And observations like that are just a good thing. So the the focus on it, because it again, it makes us aware, aware uh, of the subject, uh, and hopefully makes us self aware around those conscious biases. Um, but I, I honestly, I look to people like you who are in this industry as um, helping us solve this problem. I, I I'm interested in the subject, and therefore I do my own reading on it, and we try and um, have certain practices in our personal and professional lives which which help. But ultimately, I'm I know the more I learn on this, how imperfect I am. Um, I'm delighted to say that in our portfolio of um, uh, 18 companies today, we've led, uh, we've invested in a number of female-led um, uh, uh, high-growth companies. And not just where there's one um, women founder in the in the team, but where there's multiple. Um, and so we're we're proud of that. But it's 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 not half the portfolio, and um, yet not half yet exactly. So any advice to, I guess, founders generally about 
what a good pitch looks like or how they should think to engage venture? Yeah, I mean, that's, it's, a, it's a big question because ultimately, if you think about the, the pitching investment process, it's, it's, it's like a full sales process. So it starts with your, um, you know, researching who your target market is and who you're talking to, how you actually get introduced to those people, how you, and how you then, you know, go move from one part of the process to the next. So um, the, 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 the few things that I would think about, though, is uh, you are telling, you're, you're absolutely telling a story in that um, and it's about uh, uh, taking those people on the journey of that story with you um, the good news is we're in, in a better market than it's ever been for fundraising so there are more people to go and talk to the other good news is that we live in a world of public social networks so the people that you want to talk to um, have profiles online they will um, through their Twitter LinkedIn and Medium they will tell you what they're thinking about, where they're going to be, how many investments they're making, you know, what they like to see in pitches from from founders. So it's all about doing your research in the same way as any sales process would be. Um, and and but I guess once I think probably what your question really meant was once you're in the room, how you um, how you pitch a VC. And I think different VCs will respond differently to different things. But I would absolutely focus on the on the personal connection, and you've got to see it as a two way process. Um, and so when I say focus on the on the kind of human and the personal connection, it's like it, it's a question of whether you would want to work with that person long term, whether you'd want them on your board and whether you would trust them to make those really important decisions with you. So I, that it may sound like a cliche that it's a, it's a partnership and it's two way, but I really do mean that that, that should not be underestimated. Um, so it's it's telling a story and clearly, you know, your metrics and your product have to stack up for the individual investor that you're talking to and you can figure out what they're what they're interested in. But once you're in the room with them, you've got to connect with them on a on a personal level. So any pitch that starts with, you know, uh, this is how much we're raising and this is the valuation of the company, are, are you, you know, and you've got to move quickly and you've got to send us a term sheet by the end of the week. I'm just not interested because how on earth are you going to, take investment from someone and have them on your board potentially for the next five to ten years if you're only willing to give them a, you know, a week or you know, a couple of hours of your time. It's crazy. So if your future self was speaking to your daughter and she was about to start this process, how would you articulate it to her? To start the, the fundraising yeah. process for a company? Would you tell her to look out for? I mean, you know all the research. God, that's such a great question. So um, for everyone else who may be listening to this, I, I'm the father of a, a nine-month-old beautiful baby girl. And um, so if she was starting a company in the future, I would recount the uh, probably in much greater detail and longer that, that I've just given uh, around making sure that you connect with those people on a, on a personal level and, and you're choosing people that you actually want to spend time with and that you trust to make important decisions with and just to reiterate that you're like if, if you are really interested in building a big company you're going to likely spend more time with those investors or more years than you do with your high school friends um and uh so it's really fundamentally important and by the way things get really tough along the way so when you're making those um decisions they've got to be people that you want to make those decisions with so I, I would have a few tests maybe to help bring this back to a practical level that I would suggest and I, and I do these things too so you know could you imagine going on a long car journey with those people you know um, actually go out for dinner with them and have a few drinks and see what the what the, the feeling like is like um, with them uh, another kind of mental test that I've got is if that person I know this sounds like a bit of an odd one 
but maybe you're not, you'll know what I mean. If the person calls you on your mobile and their name flashes up on the screen, is it someone that you instantly want to pick up to and have a conversation with, or is it someone that you say, I'll call them back later? Um, maybe that's just me, but that's, um, that's another interesting one. Um, yeah, so any, any way of uh, really getting back to your judgment on that individual person? Rory Sterling, it's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you for sharing your journey so far. And I look forward to hearing about, well, firstly, the female founders that you're going to continue to invest in. And I certainly hope our paths cross again. It's been great fun. Thank you so much. You've been listening to the Working With podcast series. You can find us on iTunes and at workinwith.com. That's W-E-R-K-I-N with.com. Dot com.